Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ah, there you are now. Tell me this and tell me no more. Are you going out? Or are you going out out? You scoops. I am in me shite. We ever get over. Way out of that. Number one gobble. the first time I made any kind of public appearance, you know, invited to do it was the, back in like 2007. The Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin, Ireland <laughs> invited me to come to speak. And I literally came. They paid for a ticket to come to speak. And there I was like in front of 200 aspiring surgeons explaining to them what life would be one day as a surgeon coming from a fake doctor from TV. And I was just like, listen, guys, when in doubt, the Todd's prescription for everything is less moaning, more boning. And they were just howling. And I just did like 40 minutes of just like sexual innuendo, bone organ suction jokes. I just did every sort of and it was just like, oh, I could do this all the time. And it was just so funny for me. But my first experience, Dublin, Ireland. You got to get the right people Anybody out there, if anybody sees this here, but anybody can reach out to me anytime. I've, I've helped a lot of people, and I still do to this day help people talk. You know, just need to talk to me for, you know, text me, talk to me, whatever. And I'll, I'll talk to people. I know, I know where I've been there. I've been to the, the depths of the door where it's over. And without my wife coming that day, I, was, I, was, I wouldn't be here. So, God had a reason for him to be here mm-hmm. and maybe I'll help people. And it doesn't matter if you have a $10 million in a bank or a hundred billion or two pennies, you know, you can slip into depression. It's always so surprised. I rocked up. All the crew are lovely uh, and everyone else lovely. But I see Blonnet and Glenda and Taig, obviously, but like they're all like, I went up like in a hack. I literally rolled out of bed, did two French plats, and I was like, Grant, good to go. Ella was the same, gave her a knock on the door. They all looked like immaculate. They all looked like athlete, athletes. And I literally did grab the producer by the collar and say, what the fuck's going on here? You, t- <laughs> you tell me this was a bit of a laugh. I was like, this is not. And sure, Blonnet and Tyke had been on Ultimate Hell Week thing. Oh, so they had, they were super fit by then. This was nothing. They were just back off that. And I was just like, oh, fuck. But it was, I have to say, it was a great laugh. Did laugh all day. And, but I think people probably knew because it was me and Ella and then my auntie who was in her 60s. <laughs> and my, yeah, I know. We're actually going for the win. But then my cousin was, is actually 
um, like personal trainer. So he is very fit. But I mean, there's only so many people he can drag at one time. There was a, my, one of my first of the times I was hacked, the website was hacked, it was hacked by, I don't know why, uh, some dental uh, service in Australia, you know, and they, 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 so you clicked on it thing and it brought you to get your teeth fixed somewhere. And then there was a story that emerged from that, that I was actually a, a dental surgeon. So, and it became, so it was up, somebody put it up on, I don't know, Wikipedia or something. So any of the interviews were coming in, we didn't realize that you had, you know, you were actually went to, and I just, so I used to say no at the start, I got so fed up, I used to say, yeah, I just used to agree with them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, have it, yeah, I always have it in the back burner, you know, just <laughs> But yeah, I was hacked by this Australian, I don't know why, uh, sort of, yeah, dental, whatever. You know, we had worked with those documentarians. <laughs> I'm using that term loosely, but for <laughs> five years on a project they called Stolen World. And it was supposed to be about how all these animals are being exploited and taken from the wild and abused, and this is causing their extinction. And so we were happy to participate with them. Um, I have a diary that I release every day, a page from my diary, and I'm up to 2019 right now. And I was just recording yesterday about how we were going through the halls of Congress trying to get our bill passed. And we had this huge uh, film crew of theirs in tow covering all of this. And yet people hardly saw any of that in Tiger King. It turned out to be just a Jerry Springer style free for all freak show and not about the issues. But Man, it's just so much has happened in the past few years. And I felt like Tiger King really, in fact, my husband and I, when we watched it, we couldn't believe that was the show we had been working on. And at the end of it, we sat there and we said, well, that was a missed opportunity. It wasn't, it wasn't pleasant watching all the hair fall out. It happened quite quickly, actually, to be honest. It was really weird. And... um I was, I, you know, I rushed off to try and get some treatment, and it was unsuccessful. So my hair fell out really quite quickly, and uh, people started expressing online, you know, comments that perhaps I was ill, and um, uh, so we, ju I jumped into, you know, the social media room and just did a video about it very quickly, because it was pretty important to, put, to quash that notion that I was unwell, because I was actually fit as a fiddle. Um, but it was fantastic because. That's when suddenly everyone was going. Well, my mum's got alopecia. My my cousin's got alopecia, and um, and and you hear about little kids getting horribly bullied at school because their hair's all patchy, mm -hmm. and suddenly you know the school teachers were showing the video to the class, going, "Hey, you know this is actually quite a normal thing to happen." Uh, so it, for, it it kind of in a way it was a fortuitous in a way that I had that opportunity. Um, uh, I'm just glad I got my eyebrows back I, when you. It's a really trippy thing when you lose your eyebrows. Oh my god! Um, I imagine you don't you don't think about them, but then if they're gone, you're just no. like, wait a second. <laughs> I mean, I had no eyelashes as well, so it was a really kind of weird look. And of course, at the end of Neighbours, that's where I was at, and painting your eyebrows on. And so, a, lo a lot of uh, people are used to doing it. I'm not, and I wasn't all that steady with my hand. And sometimes one eyebrow would be higher than the other, and you know, it, it, it's just tragic. But I, there was an article in the Independent, I think it was. Now that could be wrong, but I was so say the Independent for this for this. But there was a there was Alan was, was doing well with Dublin, and Bernard was starting to come through. And there was an article saying I used to play a lot, so I used to play a lot. I was very good at golf, so I was 
had the idea of, of maybe turning pro. But that was that was the plan. Maybe if I had stuck at it a little bit longer. Um, now would that have happened? Maybe not. Maybe not. But uh, so the article was about my dad. My dad is, was doing was a successful footballer. Fine. Then I went to Allen. He's he's doing really well. Then it goes to Bernard. He's 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 up and coming. Then it goes and goes a part plays golf at the very bottom. That's right. That's not even a lie. Though. I was like, I can't remember what the exact paper it was in, but I was only sixty. I'm like, and I says, I hear this is this is the end of my golf career. So that that's why I kind of I kind of now still playing. I was playing GA, but it wasn't as serious as I should have been at the time. So then after that, maybe sixteen to seventeen, I started putting my head down with it. So probably first call up would be maybe maybe nineteen, nineteen or nineteen or twenty for for the seniors. And hmm. um, would have been playing once that stage. So I actually. Got a call up for the for the, the seniors paid up. We won the Burn Cup, and then I tore my cruise that 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 year, that February. So that was a bit of a disaster. So we first first year call up from a cruise. So I wasn't back for about maybe a year after that. So um, so yeah, no, so I'm only about twenty. So it says in that, that article, most folks, most I find it that article and Paul played golf. You ruined me golf. Could be could be rich now. <laughs> you could have been the Roy McIlroy. <laughs> yeah. Well, as growing up as growing up in Tralee, there was no outlet really for acting, or I never really thought about it. My mother had done had done some amateur dramatics when she was a kid. Actually, she'd done the the, the last menagerie uh, by Tennessee Williams in a couple of plays. Um, but uh, yeah, there was no outlet for me. I had a very bad stutter when I was a kid, so the last thing I wanted to do was go up in front of people and embarrass myself. So, uh, but I I I lived here. Way back in the eighties, in in the states, in New York, in Florida, I was, I was in construction, and um, and then I just uh, I did a little acting course, and I liked it, and I a lot of people at that time, I suppose Gabriel Byrne and Liam Neeson would have been the the two famous Irish actors, and I heard they went to a place called the Focus Theater in Dublin, so uh, I decided I'd go back and uh, and give it a go, and I was bouncing in Leeson Street while I. Studied with Deirdre O'Connell and the Focus, and um, yeah, and I did a movie then, and a, a few, you know, I was acting in Ireland then for about ten years or something, and I did a movie in the west coast of Ireland with an American company, and uh, had one of those summer romances, you know, and the, the winter was setting in, and and then I, I had a warm bed in uh, in L.A., and even though things were going quite good in Ireland, I could have stayed there. Uh, I said, yeah, you know, I'll just go off for an adventure, and. Uh, Went over there. That relationship lasted two weeks, and I ended up selling Christmas trees. And uh, off I went after that. You know. <laughs> no, it, it, no, it, it's, it's, we have to. I mean, you have to. We have fourteen hours a day together. We've mm. got to be nice to each other, and it just attracts. If the, the bad ones don't stay. The, the villains don't stay. They, if, if someone's not, I don't think I can. Can I swear on your podcast? We of course, no, you can. Yeah, we have a no dickhead policy. Uh, so if someone turns up, if they're a dickhead, sorry, off you go, <laughs> on your way. I just quickly do the math. Uh, you know, I was born '68, so like I was you know, well past my college years and everything mm-hmm. before it became legal, which is always. You know, such a nutty thing to try and explain to younger people. Yeah. Like every time I got late and I was a college student, it was literally against the law. Like, that kind of gives it a sexy aspect, though, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
You're you like, know, I, I, I enjoy a bit of Catholic guilt. You know, I don't want to do filthy things to people and then, you know, consider it just you know, every day and, you know, an ordinary. I don't want to be German about sex. I want to hold a little bit of Catholic guilt always because I think that makes it a bit more exciting. So, yeah, I, I decided, OK, not only am I going to be a writer, I'm going to be a screenwriter. And so, yeah, I was 19 or 20. I was 20 when I got kicked out of art college. And uh, that was that was it. That was the, the decision. Um, I had one chance to get away from the family farm. I had one chance not to be a failure. Uh, not to be a loser, not to spend the rest of my life hating my life and hating myself for for landing in this, you know, um, in this uh, career that I had no interest in. And uh, yeah, that was the big decision that I made at 20, the realization that I either take something seriously for the first time in my life and commit to this thing or I'm just going to be a waster for the rest of my life um, and un until Skullduggery happened uh, 10 years later I had recurring dreams about uh, being back in school as a grown up as an adult recurring dreams about being back in school and the moment Skullduggery happened they went away I wouldn't be a comedian unless the internet existed. You know, I definitely wouldn't have done the stand-up thing first. I definitely wouldn't have done that a few years ago. So it's a lot easier to put yourself out there when, you know, essentially it's a number on a screen and a high score and not actual people sitting in front of you, you know. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I it takes a certain amount of confidence. Like I know there's comedians I know who don't like themselves on camera. You know, who who find the online space a bit daunting and stuff like that. But I, you know, I felt that about the stage. So I mean, it kind of, I guess, it just depends on who you are. You know, I, yeah, it's the live embarrassment for, thing for me that I'm kind of a bit like, oh, I don't know, don't know if I can cope with that. But I can, I can just delete a video otherwise. You know. Yeah, and weirdly, I was kind of thinking there when you're saying that, I was like, which would I prefer? And like, the one thing about the live thing is obviously it would be so awkward if you're standing up there and nobody laughs or whatever. But then the other side of it is. Probably no one's going to walk up to you face to face and say you're shit or you're a dickhead or whatever. Yeah. Whereas, or I, I want to cut your head off or yes. whatever, you know, that's the yeah. shit. You, you know, deserve to die, that. whatever, yeah. you know, this <laughs> is, or like, did you get the vaccine or some fucking bullshit underneath it? Whereas yeah. if you're doing this online, anybody can say anything. And, you know, therefore, like this is your baby, your product that you're putting out, you're selling yourself in another way. So I'm kind of like, I don't know which I'd prefer. Like, I don't know how you do both of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I, I've had a very charmed existence in terms of, you know, people haven't really sent me abuse. But I mean, that's kind of just one of the perks of, of being a man in the Internet. Do you know, I mean, a lot of my female colleagues get ridiculous stuff from people and real like bizarre sexual messages and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't have to deal with that. Um, So it's, you know, it's a lot easier for me to exist. To be fair, Golden Girl is an epic tune. Yeah, well, it's kept me going for a while anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. he must have been pissed when Ed Sheeran came around and put out his own Gobble Girl. Like, hey, back off, dude. Well, I just, did, I just didn't understand what it... I didn't understand why he wrote a song with the same title. 
mm. a different song with the same title. Because that, that must be confusing for him, you know, like, or, you know, when he's collecting his royalties and whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's weird. He could have just another 31 counties he could have picked, but, you know. Yeah. Or a different, you know, title. <laughs> Roscommon Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Burr boy, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Bring it back to the hometown. The lad from Burr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very strange because I remember when he announced it, I thought he was doing a cover, and I was yeah, like, that's Why? what I thought too. Yeah, I was fucking sure he can do what he wants. He's mm. yeah, here, and you know. And we were living in the in the flats in the bog side at the time, and we had great neighbours, you know, really great neighbours, and. The, well, the troubles were just beginning then, but still there was tremendous closeness with all, all the neighbours. And when I won the National Song Contest, I was given about five bouquets of flowers. I mean, like, we'd never get bouquets of flowers, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got back to the, the flat and I put them all in the bath and then <laughs> I turned on the water. There was no water. And they turned off the water for some reason in the in the flat. Anyway, they didn't turn it on till the next day, at which point I had gone out and everybody was out. And when I came back, had they turned back on the water and I had flooded the flat, two flats below me and into the shops below that. Oh, my God. Talk about oh, making an yes. entrance. <laughs> Talk about making your name. But, uh, you know, everybody was so understanding because, like, it'd be rare to get bouquets of flowers. And they knew I didn't do it deliberately, obviously, but I never forgot coming back and all this power pandemonium. <laughs> I stepped into the flat now and I was up to my ankles in water. It actually came about because I had a really bad run with my endo for a while and that I was so, I was in so much pain and I, I felt so alone and so sad and scared and unsure that I reached out to Endometriosis Australia initially for support for myself mm. um, because I needed some guidance and some help to work out how I was going to manage this and manage full-time work with that kind of pain and those symptoms. And then eventually I said to them, look, is there anything that I can do to help? I have a platform and I would love to, because I wish I had someone like myself who was going through it in the public eye, because I would feel so much less alone. Um, so that's sort of how it happened. And I'm, I'm really glad I, I, I constantly get messages about people who are scared or unsure or who have questions. And it breaks my heart that there are other people going through it because it is, it is awful, but it's nice to know that there is a community out there that will support you and will answer questions and you're not alone and you're not crazy and you're not making up your symptoms. And the more that we talk about it, the more that, we will get funding and get recognition, which is just so important. It's something like one in nine women are diagnosed with endometriosis, which is ridiculous mm. that we don't, we don't even have an official way to, we, we can't diagnose it without surgery. Yeah. There is no cure. There is no real treatment of the actual endometriosis. There's only symptom treatment. Um, 
and that's absurd in this day and age. Like we can grow organs. Wow, yeah, 15th season. Uh, there was a meeting and they said, you know, Craig is at this point, he has to retire. So we sat there and talked about it. And, and my initial feeling was, well, no, we don't. <laughs> and, uh, and then um, I realized, you know what? It is the right thing. And my feeling, I couldn't get it until we shot that last scene. And I have to tell you, I still haven't seen it. It's, really? uh, it's too hard for me. But he's sitting there and he's talking to Liv. And, and he says, it's time. It's time. And uh, that's how it felt. You know, you're there, you do it, you work so hard, you do all this stuff, and then you realize it is, it's time. And then I love that they gave the tagline that as he's walking out, he looks at her and says, do something with this place, would you? <laughs> and uh, it's passing the torch, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and she's brilliant, right? She's brilliant and has done amazing stuff. 